Hey there, and welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations about food and farming. I'm Jared Lumen, the Soil Health Lead for the Sustainable Farming Association. And when I'm out in the field working with producers, a question that I get asked quite often actually is, uh, what are some of the different tests that I should be doing or how can we monitor progress? And we'll walk through some of the simple ones they can do on their farm, like water infiltration or bricks readings and penetrometers and other things like that. But there's a variety of tests that can't be done on farm and require the use of a lab to do uh, that are also going to be very valuable. And so to discuss those tests today, I'm joined by Lance Gunderson, president and co-owner of Regen Ag Labs in Nebraska. Lance, welcome to the Dirt Rich Podcast. Oh, thank you, Jared. Uh, great to be here. Awesome. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time you've taken. Um, if you don't mind, maybe talk a little bit about what Regen Ag Labs does and is as a whole, and, and then maybe give a little background and history as to how you got uh, got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I've been involved with soil testing um, for about 22 years now, and uh, 20 years, somewhere in that ballpark, you lose track, right? But um, <laughs> yeah. anyway, I, I work for another large uh, commercial laboratory. We focused mostly at the time on, you know, what we, what I, I'm going to use the term conventional soil test, um, malic three extracts, ammonium acetate, GT, you know, DTPA, things that if you've done soil testing almost with any lab you've probably seen before, um, in 2012, I or 2010, I, I decided to go back and work on a master's degree. Uh, and I'm a biologist by training and a chemist. I'm not a soil scientist uh, necessarily at all. Um, my soil science kind of was learned through experience, hands-on experience, rather than pure academic side. Hmm. Uh, but as a result of that, I, I really wanted to focus on soil biology as a measure and so we started i started running phospholipid fatty acid tests and then shortly after that we introduced things like the haney test and uh you know so i worked in that space for about seven years uh, while i was employed at the other lab and then in 2019 um jeremy dolland and i decided that we wanted to kind of shift the focus of the laboratory so we started our own and uh, region ag lab was born um, and, and here, you know, we basically what makes us different is that, um, most of the other large laboratories, you know, they, they've been very involved with grid sampling and conventional soil testing for decades. And that is really where their focus lies. Um, you know, the large soil companies out there or the large agricultural companies, uh, that's who these labs work with a lot of, um, you know, we all know their names, you know, Corteva's and Helena's and Syngenta's and, you know, so, um, and not, not that we won't work with them, but we wanted to take a different shift. So at Region Ag Lab, we're probably 95% focused on regenerative agriculture and soil health. Um, yes, we can run the conventional tests were very well trained in that as well, but um, it's just not really the market we're we're trying to work with. So mm -hmm. most of the people we focus on are are um, producers, uh, and 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 that doesn't necessarily mean corn and beans. I would say fifty percent of our clientele are row crop farmers. Uh, you know, corn, beans, wheat, milo. The other fifty percent, uh, probably forty percent of those are rangeland. Uh, managers, grazing systems uh, without any row crop. Uh, and then the other 10% or so are specialty crops, vegetables, vineyards, et cetera. So that's kind of our client base. And we work with farmers and ranchers that are trying to transition a little more away from, again, the conventional management style or paradigm and, and work towards this regenerative type system. So that's how we try to aid in, in that process cool yeah so when when a producer whatever the kind of producer it is that calls you up and says i, I want to get some soil data testing done i don't really know what i need to know and well, i mean i don't know what i need to do and what i need to know um what do you where do you start with them yeah so and i, and I get that question probably you know <laughs> 40 times a week it seems I'm like sure. um and you know the, the big thing i always tell people is that number one you, you need to have a pretty good understanding of what your goals are uh, 
and your resource concern. So, and, and, and hopefully your, your goals and your resource concerns have some overlap. In other words, you've recognized a certain problem and your goal is to alleviate that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your goals. So for example, um, water is a huge issue, right? Water infiltration. So, so let's say I'm in a semi-arid environment, I'm irrigating, uh, I'm growing cereal crops uh, or, or even some other grain. And one of my resource concerns, my observation as a producer is that, you know, I've got drought and I can't get water to infiltrate my soil. It seems to be running off. And my goal is to stop that from happening. Right. And so then then we try to work with a set of tests and we give some some recommendations. And, and for example, beyond a couple of those you mentioned as field measurements, right? Penetrometer, infiltration rate. We can do aggregate stability testing. Uh, we can look at water holding capacity, et cetera. But if that's not your goal, then we don't really want to recommend those tests, you know, necessarily. So that's how we, how we try to work with farmers. I really want them to sit back and think about what their goal is. And, and beyond just the, well, I want to produce as, as much corn as I can possibly <laughs> produce on every sure. acre, right? Now, like, yeah. But dive in deeper than that. Let's, you know, of course, that's everyone's goal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, win the lottery and not have to, you know, but. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's how we work with with producers and really get them to think about what it is uh, that they, they want to do. And of course, as if you're achieving certain goals over time, then hopefully you create new ones um, mm-hmm. or. Um, maybe your most important resource concern is, is being alleviated, and then you're going to shift to focus onto a different resource concern. And, and the testing can shift with that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's kind of interesting because they probably, a lot of the goals, almost everything ties together in some way, shape or form, whether it's increased production and profitability or you know, just the general goal of, uh, or, or like increased water infiltration, they all kind of tie back in a way to soil health. Um, and so when you're working with people, I mean, is there a baseline? And I know, I know I, Gabe Brown talks a lot about how he wishes he had a baseline data set that he, you know, when he got started and stuff, do you, when you, when people call you, do you try to help them, you know, set up a, a certain level of baseline data to get started from and then move forward, with maybe less regular stuff? And, and what would those baseline data points be that you would start with? Yeah, and that's a great question, Jared, because uh, the short answer is yes. Um, there, I, I use the Haney test as a foundation mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, the Haney test includes certain soil measures that are somewhat familiar you know, to a producer making this transition, they're going to see nitrate and organic matter and pH and, you know, those things that they're used to seeing. Um, so there's a comfort level there kind of trying to adopt or transition from what you're used to looking at. Number two, um, I think the Haney test gives you the most well-rounded information, uh, for the money. And I think that it's got some really great indicators in there. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, all of these things are tied together, right? So, uh, you know, carbon feeds microbes and microbes build aggregates and aggregates allows water in and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the Haney test kind of gives us some pretty good indirect measures of, of those processes that are happening as a result of management. And then number three is just the immediate ROI. So if you are in a position where you're applying fertilizer in your system, the Haney test is the only soil test I know that is designed to try to save you money on fertilizer. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think originally that's why soil tests were designed, but I think somewhere along the line, they kind of became tools, not for the farmer to figure out where they can save fertilizer. They became tools on how to sell a farmer fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, they would say, well, this is all your soil has in it. We measure this. You don't have anything else. You need to put it on. And, and I think that's kind of the message that's been around for, uh, I mean, a few, quite a few years now is that this is what we're using them for. So the Haney test on average 
And when I say on average, I'm talking about about 100,000 soil samples here. Um, on average, the Haney test is going to save a producer between 18 and 20 pounds of nitrogen hmm. per acre. And that is in addition to the nitrate and you know the, the nitrate credit you, you normally get. So mm -hmm. it's not about telling somebody they can't put anything on. Uh, it's it's more about, well, look, as the price of these inputs keep going up, uh, how much do you really have to cut back to get an ROI on your soil test? Not very much. Yeah. And so that's the big reason. That That's, I mean, two pounds, you know, if you cut back two pounds to the acre, you, you paid for the test. And mm -hmm. so... Um, that's the reason I use that as a foundation. Oh, before we move on to others on this one, maybe what is a Haney test and how does it differ from, I think you called it the conventional standard soil test. Maybe give a little uh, explanation on both of those for the non-scientific in the room here like myself. Yeah, no problem. Um, so so the, the, the Haney, I'll start with the Haney test. So the Haney test, um, I kind of call it the three-headed monster. Uh, it, it's It's got a lot of parts to it, but there's three main kind of categories for it. So we have a nutrient uh, a, a nutrient analysis side, which is very similar to what a conventional soil test is trying to do, right? I'm talking potassium, calcium, sodium, sulfur, zinc, iron, you know, all that stuff, nitrate, phosphate. So we do that. The difference on the Haney test compared to a conventional test is the extract that we're using at the laboratory. So in other words, the chemistry that we use at the lab. So anytime you send a soil sample to a laboratory, we're going to add some kind of solution to it to strip or pull or solubilize nutrients. And then we're going to analyze that, that filtrate or that, that liquid as afterwards to determine what's in it. Well, depending on what chemistry you use, you can change the amount of whatever's in that solution, right? So in other words, uh, you take a penny and you put it in a cup of water and you say, well, how soluble is, is the metal in that penny? Well, if it's in water, it's not very soluble. But if you put it in concentrated sulfuric acid, it becomes very soluble very quick, uh, very quickly. So the Haney test uses an extract that Dr. Haney came up with, uh, him and some colleagues, called H3A. And it is made up of organic acids that plants commonly produce. So these are things like citric acid, oxalic acid, malic acid, and they're in relatively low concentrations. So the whole goal here is to mimic soil solution to evaluate nutrients that would be available to the crop. And that's a, a far cry from some of the other chemistry that it's used. Um, so it's just trying to align closer to with what your soils actually see in the field rather than what we can make them see in the lab, if that makes sense. So it's showing nutrients that will be made available by the acids the plant produces that the other tests are not showing. So the other tests are not showing nutrients that actually will become available. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the argument. Yeah, you're right. Because I mean, but the argument has always been, well, you know, um, Malik 3, for example, is supposed to show you plant available nutrients. I mean, that's that's the claim, mm -hmm. right? But the issue is, is it just because it's soluble in Malik 3 solution doesn't mean it's soluble in the soil solution because your soil does not contain Malik 3. Mm -hmm. It's I mean, Malik 3 is a pH of about two and a half. It's incredibly highly buffered. Uh, matter of fact, if it rained Malik 3, your crops wouldn't grow. If you irrigated with Malik 3, they wouldn't grow. I mean, it's not, it's not stuff yeah. that you, you know, if you get it on your skin, it's not going to kill you, but you mm -hmm. certainly don't want to cover yourself with it. Um, it'll burn. Um, so, you know, that that's the idea, the philosophy there is it's just like, why are we using chemistry mm -hmm. in the lab to optimize nutrient availability when that's not what's happening okay. in the world? What what's happening then in the Haney test that is giving that I think you said eighteen to twenty pounds of N credit that is not happening in the other test? Like what's actually the difference there? So so I mentioned three legs to the test. So the first leg that we just talked about that's just measuring you know the extractable nutrients using H three A. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to measure nitrate, measure ammonium and, and all that stuff. Um, so the additional credit comes in from the other side. Okay. So when we run a conventional soil test, we make the assumption that all the nitrogen in the system is nitrate. And that is going to be your credit. So if, if, if your crop requires 200 pounds of nitrogen and you have 20 pounds of nitrate in the soil, the recommended fertilizer amount is 180 pounds of nitrogen. Um, but not all the nitrogen exists as nitrate. Most of it doesn't exist as nitrate. And so we've got amino sugars and uh, just straight amino acids, and we've got full enzymes and proteins. So all of that collectively is what we would call organic nitrogen. It's not mineral nitrogen, that's nitrate and ammonium. Um, that nitrogen is tied to carbon <laughs> and the microbes want to eat the carbon. And just like you and I, when we eat carbon, we give off waste products, <laughs> urea, manure, etc. And And a lot of that has to do with excess nutrients that our bodies don't need. So for microbes, when they eat carbon, if there's nitrogen tied to it, protein tied to it, essentially, they can release that. And that process is called mineralization. Mm. So by, bacteria have a tendency to, to hold on to a lot of nitrogen. When they eat things, they have a very low carbon to nitrogen ratio around three to one, where corn at maturity is around 80 to one. So we think corn requires so much nitrogen um, because the money we're spending usually to buy it. But bacteria, by and large, have a much higher demand uh, for nitrogen, pound for pound. So the way it gets released then is that other organisms eat bacteria. They graze on bacteria, namely protozoans. And protozoans have a C to N ratio of around 15 to 1. So the Haney test is evaluating the food that we use water as an extract. We're just evaluating how much water-soluble carbon is in the system. That's the food. So it's a subset of organic matter. That's what the microbes have access to. How much organic nitrogen is tied to that food? Mm-hmm. And then we get this ratio, this carbon to nitrogen ratio of the food. In other words, it's a balance. You're just looking at a balance between energy and nitrogen, protein. Um, like balancing a ration for livestock. Mm -hmm. Then when the microbes consume that and they're consumed, we have nitrogen potentially being kicked back out into the system as Mm -hmm. mineral nitrogen. And that is, that's nitrate and ammonium again. And that's available to the plant. That's where that cycle gets completed. We kind of circumvent that biological piece most of the time, and we just dump the fertilizer on, and we try to make it linear, right? Add the nitrogen, nitrogen goes into the crop, crop leaves the field, and then bring fertilizer back in. That's how we complete the cycle. Well, Mm -hmm. there is a cycle happening underground as well. So the Haney test uses a water extract to evaluate that. And then it also uses respiration. So soil respiration as an indicator of how many microbes you have. Mm -hmm. So the more microbes you have, the greater the potential for microbial activity. When they're active, that's more work they can do. Mm -hmm. And the work they're doing is part of the work they're doing is cycling these nutrients, right? from the organic material, the plant residues. So we just collectively, we call that decomposition, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what they're doing. And so then we calculate how much organic nitrogen we believe is going to be released based on how many microbes you have, how much organic nitrogen you have. Um, the credit won't be higher than what we can measure on the test. That's the conservancy that's built in because we know that that's it's a continuum, mm-hmm. right? We're just looking at it as a snapshot. That's a conservancy, but that release credit, that organic nitrogen release credit, is the average uh, additional credit I gave you at okay. about eighteen to twenty pounds per acre. 
Okay. So that's in addition to the nitrate credit we're already getting. Um, and that's where that difference comes in. So I want to say what I heard and you can correct me on what I misheard or misunderstood then. So there's nitrogen or protein attached to carbon that's in the soil there that is currently in the conventional systems not being accounted for in any way because in their current form, they're not available to the plants. But biology can break them down, consume the carbon, release that nitrogen and make it in a, a plant available form. And that's what you, this test does is along with that respiration test is calculates roughly estimates how much activity will actually happen, how much breaking down of that and how much nitrogen will be released to the plant. Absolutely. Spot on. Okay. So a follow-up question then on this that I don't know how it connects, but if, if our goal is to try and get carbon in the soil, um, how does increasing biology consuming carbon is that, is that benefiting the soil then as we consume carbon or is, I mean, is that, I, I I'm <laughs> Jared, I'm really glad you asked that question. Okay. Uh, I really am. Cause I uh, haven't I, fully formulated it. So as long as you, you sound I, like, you know, where I'm at, I so. think, I, I think I know what direction you're going here. Okay. I think in a nutshell, it's this, if we're trying to build carbon, save mm. carbon in the soil, then why on earth do we want microbes to consume carbon and release yeah. it as CO2? Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah okay. yeah well much better <laughs> much better stated <laughs> very very valid question um so here's here's my analogy for this and and um for anybody out there who's ever who's ever heard this talk this this uh what i'm going to say is going to line up with this but keith burns uh with green cover seed does an amazing talk and i just loved it and it, it's called carbonomics if you haven't seen it, look it up. But what it is, is it's, it's talking about carbon as the equivalency of money, currency that drives the system. Okay. Mm -hmm. So think of this biological system as an economy, right? Mm -hmm. So right now there's so much focus on carbon and everybody says, okay, we want to take carbon from the atmosphere, gas phase, shove it through the plant, liquid phase, and put it into the soil solid phase. And we want to leave it there forever. Right? Yep. Well, that is not the way economies work. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's got to be cyclical. And I, and I say this, can you imagine what would happen if everybody in this country took their paycheck next month and locked it up in a vault and never touched it? Mm -hmm. We would crash the economy of this country and the world overnight. And maybe, honestly, maybe that's what we all need to do. <laughs> maybe that's what we need, to do. we need a hard reset, right? Yeah. Everybody just stops spending money. But yeah. the point is, is that, that that's what happened. Sure. So, so we want microbes. They're the workers of the economy, of that soil economy. The microbes, the macroinvertebrates, the fungi, all of those things, those are your workers inside that economy. And that's also the reason why diversity is so important. Because if you look at a community, anywhere you live, you think of a community, and I always joke, because I said, imagine if you had a community of 10,000 people, and every single one of those people was a lawyer. Well, how well does that community function? Mm -hmm. Not very well. You just have a whole bunch of people handing each other $300 an hour to talk to them. That's it. I mean, and nothing ever happens. So we want diversity in the community. We want the community. We want the people in the community to work and have jobs. And guess what creates jobs? Money, right? Mm -hmm. Very few people are going to work every day for nothing. So money drives the system. Carbon drives the system. So here's what actually happens is it just like money, if I want to save money and I want to put money in my savings account, I've got two ways to do it. One way is to spend less. And that's kind of the idea of why do we want the microbes eating? Because we want them to, to spend less. Mm -hmm. The other way to do it is to increase your income. So if I told, if I say I save 10% of my paycheck every month, well, if I make a thousand dollars a month, I'm saving a hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. If I make $10,000 a month, I can still spend nine grand, but I'm saving a thousand dollars. So in this situation of work, we want to increase the carbon income 
into the system, and we want to increase that through photosynthesis, we want to slow down the spending. And by that, it's, it's, that's why we talk about reducing tillage because bacteria, it oxygenates the soil and the bacteria go nuts and they overspend, mm-hmm. they overeat, mm-hmm. and we lose too much carbon at one time. Also adding in really large amount, or relatively large amounts of synthetic nitrogen. And, I, and I, there I use the term synthetic. I'm going to say this really quick. There's no such thing as synthetic nitrogen. <laughs> Nitrogen is naturally occurring, right? And yeah, I don't care where yeah. you get it. But <laughs> when you put nitrogen on in large amounts, um, that speeds up the decomposition or degradation of carbon. So we can reduce the spending rate and increase the income at the same time. Now, part of what happens when you do work, hopefully there's an outcome right? We all go to work and we hope that there's an outcome to that work. And some days we kind of question what the outcome may be, but there's an outcome to it. And the outcome in this system is that some of, and it's a really small fraction, but some of this carbon becomes very difficult to break down. It gets invested, if you will, into all kinds of things and they're locked up long-term that is where your stable carbon pool comes from. And it's kind of like you and I taking a portion of our paycheck and maybe putting it into a 401k, right? There's penalties if you take that back out. Mm -hmm. Um, You've made the commitment. So that stable carbon pool is made up of mostly dead microbes and really complex carbon compounds. And when I say complex, I mean decomposition is an ugly process. So as they decompose certain things, we end up with these, they call them amorphous carbon molecules. That just means they don't have a set structure and shape, not Mm -hmm. like glucose with, you know, C6H12O6. So it's very easy to break down. Those are the things that are left behind. The rest of the carbon goes out. The other outcome of this work then is aggregate building, uh, disease suppression through, through, you know, increased microbial output, nutrient cycling, et cetera, et cetera. So the goal here, I know it's a very long winded answer to to give you, but it it really is. We don't want the microbes to just stop working and we have to pay them to work. That's Mm -hmm. what drives that economy. So it's all about carbon um, in that system and it's not linear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as soon as we try to make it linear, it collapses even the other way, because right now it's kind of been linear going the opposite direction, right? Hmm. Yeah. We're, we're streaming carbon to the atmosphere from the soils. Well, what's happening to the production system? Well, it's been collapsing for decades. And so we use technology to try to overcome that collapse. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that doing the exact opposite is going to work either. You know, human beings just by nature, if, if this doesn't work, <laughs> let's go clear to the other extreme. Yeah. And and I and that discussions happen where it's like, you know, fertilizer bad. So we have to go clear to the other extreme and say you can't put anything on. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. We did this before. We've done this before. Remember, prior to 1950, nobody was putting on fertilizer, nobody was spraying Roundup, nobody was, you know, yeah. we were all organic. Mm-hmm. So it's it, but it's it's about remembering certain parts of that system and coupling it with certain technologies and using the technologies in a positive way and finding something in the middle. And it's the same thing with the carbon. We need mm-hmm. carbon going into the system, but we do need it coming out. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I think that's yeah probably the best explanation and illustration of the whole Haney test and carbon yeah, biology cycle that I've ever heard. I really appreciate you sharing that. So hopefully that came through to listeners, but I, I feel like, yeah, no, I learned a lot there. Thank you. Um, anything else on that Haney test or I know, I think I cut you off right before you said you had a couple other tests you wanted to talk about, but if there's any more on that. Um, no, I, I mean, the only other thing I'll mention on the Haney test is it. so look, I get asked this question a lot. How do we, A, establish a baseline? So we, we discussed, you know, the Haney test for me is the foundational piece, right, that I like to use. Now, I'll quickly mention the other two tests in this context. Phospholipid fatty acid analysis, 
or PLFA, which is a microbial community analysis. It tells us a little bit about who the major players are, the bacteria, fungi. It does not tell us who the species are. If we want that level of information, then we're going to look at a genomics test. And we work with biomakers, uh, and they've got a wonderful technology, and it's called B-Crop. It's, it's like PLFA on steroids. Okay, so I mean, you're going to get a lot more detailed information. Which one is right or wrong? That has to do with your level of interest as a producer um, or what specific goal you're trying to accomplish. But both work well for a baseline. The other one is total nutrient digestion. Total nutrient digestion is exactly what it sounds like. We're going to take a soil sample. We're going to digest that using uh, peroxides and, and nitric acid to basically release all the nutrients into solution. This is not measuring what's available. It's measuring what's available plus everything else. But we're going to analyze that soil for phosphorus and for potassium and calcium. Because I often hear this is that say, well, you know, my soil doesn't have any phosphorus in it. Well, no, it probably does. It probably has a lot. It's just that you don't have access to it. Your plants don't have access to it. So that's like measuring your net worth. The total nutrient test is measuring your net worth. So if you're on the farm and you say, I've got this land and this equipment and all this stuff, my net worth is $3 million. Well, that doesn't mean you can write a check for $3 million tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the Haney test is measuring what's in your checking account. Okay. And so that's the big difference between those two. The Haney test, just like with economics, it's more important to check the balance of your checking account more often than it is to reevaluate your net worth. So the, the total nutrient digest test, the PLFA test, if you're gonna use them as a monitoring tool, it's generally every three years on average. So this is not something we're gonna run every year. The Haney test is kind of an annual type, type thing uh, typically, because we can use it for management decisions, especially when it comes to fertility. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the three that I really use as a baseline and then a, uh, typically recommend as a baseline. And, and then Jared, the other thing on the Haney test, this was, this is kind of the next step. So the other question I get a lot is how do I track progress? You know, how do I know how well I'm actually doing? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of numbers on the Haney test. You know, it's difficult because some go up and others go down. And, and, and that makes sense, right? Because again, biological system. And if, if one of these numbers goes up, it causes the other one to go down and vice versa. And so there's a cascade effect. So it's hard, can be difficult to, to really discern how this is working. So Rick Haney, uh, Dr. Rick Haney, love that man, known him for 12, 13 years now, um, yeah. was lucky enough to hire him uh, about a year ago. Uh, so he works with Region Ag Lab as the chief wow. scientific officer, and we sat down and we've been discussing this for years. And and he, I say we, he sat down, <laughs> uh, mostly him, yeah, uh, and started looking at huge data sets and developed. This is ingenious in my opinion. So we used to run fence line samples or tree line samples right next to a field sample. Mm -hmm. And we used that to kind of establish a, a potential for that area, right? Because we know climate, soil type, those things play a role um, in how healthy or quote unquote, how many microbes you can have or how often they're active and all those things. So we use tree line samples or fence line samples or whatever to kind of get an idea of potential. So Rick took that idea and we started doing this based on depth. So we run, now we have the option. We can run a Haney test on a zero to six inch sample and a six to 12 inch sample in the same exact field. So you're running a separate Haney test here and a separate Haney test here. Uh, the six to 12 serves, serves kind of as your inherent baseline. Mm. It's going to be influenced by climate, soil type, you know, somewhat with management. 
But gas exchange at that six to 12, remember we need oxygen and all this stuff. It's always going to be limiting compared to the zero to six. And so we use the zero to six as your management zone. And the larger the spread between those two, and it's not just on the soil health score. It's, it's a whole, I think it's a whole bunch of different metrics that we plug into this algorithm. And the difference between the two basically grades your farm against your farm. So it is, it is scoring you against yourself. And it's not even the entire farm. It's on a per field basis if you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Completely independent of your neighbor, completely independent of your state and your county. Now, your, your numbers are going to be influenced by your state or climate. But again, we're, the comparison is being done within that same climate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's being done within the same soil type. And so you're not being, you know, for the most part, yes, the subsoil can be a slightly different, you know, but, sure. but the point is, is that you're trying to reduce that. So instead of trying to lump everything together and say, okay, three counties, these three counties are all going to be compared to each other or these three states or this region, right? Because too many producers say, well, you know, it'll work there, but it won't work here. Mm-hmm. No, it, it will work here. And we're going to show you. Um, and you're only going to be compared to yourself. And that's been a really kind of a new thing that we're pushing. Um, and I've had some people say, you know, well, okay, but now I got to run two Haney tests. Well, yeah, but not, it's like subsoil nitrate testing. You don't have to do it at the same frequency that you do the topsoil, the topsoil mm-hmm. sampling. So we're not huh. just saying you got to double the number of samples. Huh. No, that's not yeah. it at all. Um, the other thing is, is that the subsoil nitrate or the subsoil test, that additional test, usually gives us on average 10 additional pounds of nitrogen that we weren't getting credit for before. So if you're going to use that and account for that, that 10 pounds of nitrogen across 40 acres, you know, 400 pounds of nitrogen pays for a $50 test pretty quick. So, um, that's just something very interesting that, that, he's been developing and, and we've got a number, again, I say we, he's got a number, um, region ag lab has a number of calculations now that we can do. The Haney test didn't change. We just had a lot of data and we had a lot of management history. So we were better able to produce some of these scores and algorithms. It's kind of as interpretive pieces to the test. And so these are just additional add-on. There's a carbon, a dynamic carbon one. Uh, there's a water quality index one, uh, an organic nutrient density index, uh, and things like that as it we're continuing to develop. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, yeah. <laughs> Don't really have a follow-up to that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, I just, I just wanted to throw it out there because it is I, so many people ask that question. They say, well, how can I track progress? And there's so many metrics. Right. And, yeah. and then they say, well, you know, we had a drought this year. Right. And your zero to six and your six to 12 both experienced drought. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, well, you know, my neighbor's got this or this. Per- so w- we just tried to come up with a way to, to let the soil data tell sure. us. Uh, how well it's doing and and somebody might say well you know i i I needed a till this year Mm -hmm. okay you know it's not about telling somebody what they can or can't do it's just literally gauging Mm -hmm. how well it's working and and i and and i'm an analogy person jared so this kind of came to me when i was sitting there thinking about okay how do you define human health everybody wants to define soil health right well how do you define human health well, you can't. It's different based on the individual. However, we have certain metrics that we deem as indirect measures of somebody who's physically healthy or certain behaviors on, on the mental side for mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Or unhealthy for that matter. Cholesterol, weight, height, blood pressure, you know, those are measurements that we have kind of ranges for. Um, no. So we're using the Haney test as your set of measurements. And then the outcome of those measurements, we might tell somebody, well, here's the concern. You know, your carbon to nitrate ratio is out of whack. It's like a doctor saying, well, your blood pressure is too high. 
And then they recommend that maybe, you know, this is always the general recommendation, but, you know, <laughs> try to sleep better and exercise more and eat better, you know, change your diet. Yeah. But what they don't tell you is, okay, tomorrow morning, you're going to get up at 6 a.m. You're going to go for a two mile run, and then you're going to eat this for breakfast and you're going to have this for a snack. And you're going to, you know, it's more general than that. And so we're trying to do the same thing to say, here are the concerns. Here are some potential options that you could use as a manager to address this concern. You choose what you think works best for you, implement it, and then we'll come back and remeasure. So that's like going back to the doctor a year later and they say, hey, whatever you're doing is working, keep it up. Or mm-hmm. you know what? This isn't working and maybe you should try something different. Right. Mm-hmm. So we took that approach to this because I know sometimes it's funny because a lot of producers I talk to say, I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> I don't want anybody to mandate how I have to farm. But then they also say, tell me what I should do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. what would you do? And it's like, well, that's hard to hard to address. So that's the approach we take. Um, and then when a producer says to me, well, I think I want to try this. I've been researching this and I want to try it. I'm not the person who's probably going to give you the best implementation advice on that. Mm-hmm. But because I work with so many producers in this space, I can generally find somebody who's relatively close, similar climate, who's done the same thing you're wanting to do. And I try to get you connected with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that way it's farmer to farmer, peer to peer to say, hey, you know, I really because don't ask me how to calibrate your green grow. Yeah. I don't know how to do that. Sure. Well, bringing this back a little bit to the producer and what they, the steps they can take, if they're looking, they're saying, okay, I'll start taking these tests and things. What are the, I mean, are there certain considerations they need to make as far as time of year, time of day, temperatures, things that they should, that are relevant to, I think the three main tests you talked about, Haney, PLFA and total nutrient digestion. Um, Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'll I'll handle the easy one first, total nutrient digest. It doesn't matter what time of year you do that test. Um, Mm -hmm. it makes zero difference. The only thing is, is that if you are going to want to compare 2022, 2025 depth, sample depth is important. So if you say you're going to pull a six inch sample, it better be six inches. And Mm -hmm. and then you want to stay with that depth again. That brings us to that point. What depth should I do it? Well, Again, there's no right or wrong here. It's the the answer is is how deep do you want to evaluate your nutrient profile? If you know that you've got really deep soils and you're seeing, you know, you, you believe you've got roots going down to three feet or more, I would probably recommend trying to pull a three foot core and running that total nutrient profile. The plants are using nutrients to that depth. Right. Again, we're not the reason why we we sample six and eight inches for fertility samples is because that's what all everything was, quote unquote, calibrated to plow pan depth. But for total nutrient digest, we're not making fertilizer recommendations off that test. This is just an evaluation. So you can do it to whatever depth you want. Um, You just want to be consistent. Um, Now, for PLFA and Haney tests. Obviously, biological tests and biology is greatly influenced by temperature and moisture, right? Um, So typically what I say is this, is that we can run the test on a sample pulled at any depth and at any time of the year. The test will work. However, it may not be as meaningful. Mm So. I've got some people that really like they do most of their fertilizer application in the, in the spring. And so we're typically saying pull samples in the spring, uh, at least two weeks before you need to be making your decisions. The lab, it takes a couple, about two days from when we receive them. Um, we hope the soil temperatures are roughly, you know, 50 to 55 degrees or, or warmer. But again, Minnesota, Canada. I mean, I've had people call me in Canada and say, well, if I wait for 50 degrees, I've got a one week window and it's in the middle of August. So it's not, you know, Um, again, beyond that, it's just consistency. Mm -hmm. Make notes about the general conditions, you know, wow, it was really hot this spring 
or wow, it was excessively dry or wet, you know, just make notes uh, of those things. Um, because if you get three or four years and you're seeing this trend line and you've got one year where things just kind of fall out of line a little bit, you've got some general notes to say, okay, you know, well, that was, it was incredibly dry that year until June and we sampled in May and that, you know, so there is no right or wrong. It's consistency is the most important thing. I do try to avoid the extremes, which usually means January, <laughs> uh, you know, February, uh, especially anywhere north of Oklahoma. Um, mm-hmm. And then also, you know, July and August, uh, sure. uh, especially when you get south of where I'm at, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just too hot um, yeah. or it's too cold and it's just not a great time to do it. Okay. so. Are there any common, I don't know, mistakes or things that people do wrong when taking some of these tests that it would be really easy to do if you didn't know what you were doing or, um, yeah. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to identify those mistakes with, you know, when you get a bag of soil. Yeah. You're not doing the testing Uh, yourself at the moment. Right. Yeah. I'm not pulling the samples. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I, I would say probably one of the largest mistakes is just depth. Sure. Um, consistency on depth. Uh, the The reason why the depth part is so important is because when, when we calculate the amount of nitrogen you're going to get as a credit. Now, this is true even of conventional soil tests. So when you convert parts per million into pounds per acre, it's based on depth. So if you say I've got 10 part per million and the so- soil depth was six inches, that credit is 18 pounds. But if you tell me it's eight inches, that credit is 24 pounds. Mm-hmm. If you tell me it's 10 inches, it's 30, you know, so sure. that debt, it just changes the amount of credit. So yeah. if you're not, if, if you, if you tell me you're pulling six inch samples, but you're only pulling three inch samples, whatever nitrogen credit we give you should be twice as high as what we, or, or half of what, what you really have, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you set yourself up to potentially being shorted on one side or putting on more than you really needed on the other. Uh, So that's important. The other thing I'll I'll mention is that I get this question quite often too, which relates to this is, well, how do I, you know, how how do I determine a sampling area? And, and the answer to that is really, again, kind of dependent on your goals. If you just want the average of the field, you're going to want to take 10 to 15 cores that kind of, and mix those together to make one sample and that, but you want to do it in a way that is going to represent the average. Mm-hmm. So if, if you, now that average can be based on soil type. It can be based on production zones, good and poor. Uh, you know, if you say, well, 80% of the field averages 220 on corn and 20% of the field averages 160. Well, make sure you don't pull every one of your cores out of the 80% good side and don't pull all of them out of the bad side. So, you know, if you're going to pull 10 cores, take eight and two proportionately, you know, the, and, and again, this isn't, it's not hardcore, like you don't yeah. have to sit down and crunch it. Just same thing with topography. You know, I don't know what that is in Nebraska. You know, all the fields are just flat and huge, but <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you can do it on topography. You can do it on soil types, you know. And if you ever want to compare, that's when you need separate samples. If you sure. want to compare the high production to the lower production, completely separate samples. If you want mm-hmm. to compare soil types. So just thinking those things through a little bit, because it does change how those results are interpreted. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, what does that sample truly represent? And then that's how it has to be interpreted. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, last question, I guess I, I have at the moment um, is, so when you get your test back and you see all these numbers, do they call you up? Do you guys, you know, at Regen Ag Labs, walk them through it? Is there resources you point them to? How do people start, you know, taking these data points and making actionable, you know, taking action with them? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I always tell everybody that, I have to charge people for soil analysis, but in reality, producers are not paying for the analysis. They're paying for the interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so 
Right now, the way it works is that people generally reach out to me. Um, and, and when I say me, uh, uh, Region Ag Lab, and it might be myself, it might be Dr. Haney, it might be uh, Emily Shafto, who, who works here with me and, you know, is really getting more involved in that stuff. Um, she does most of the results right now, so she can answer a lot of questions. We have a couple of um, guides or, or kind of resource guides that we will send people, interpretation guides. Uh, we are in the process of developing a more in-depth interpretation guide, and it's going to be a little more interactive, and probably um, there'll probably be a version of it that's online. So it'll do some real-time interpretation with you um, online. Of course, I also point people to things like this, you know, podcasts, YouTube presentations, um, things like that to, to just get keep familiarizing themselves with it. I mean... Uh, you know, I have several people that have said, you know, I've, I've heard this information six times, <laughs> but they, you know, but it's, it's just that repetitive nature of mm -hmm. when they have time, they revisit it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's what we, what we do. But overall, my goal is this, is that my goal is to either get an individual producer to a point where they're comfortable enough that they, you know, we got to spend time interpreting 80% of it the first mm -hmm. time. And then over time, that keeps getting smaller and smaller to where pretty soon it's a very detailed, specific question they might have. And they'll call and ask that question. And, yeah. um, and, and we do that with agronomists as well or consulting groups because that's really the link. Nobody has, you know, the farmer and the producer has the most intimate knowledge of their operation. Second in line is their agronomist or consultant that they've maybe worked with for a few years, I'm so far removed from exactly what you're doing on the farm. It's hard sometimes for me to bridge that gap um, and make recommendations. So we also want to train the agronomist because the agronomist has a different perspective or, or the consultant has a different perspective. It can offer new opinions. Um, sure. So yeah, we, we work with them as well because we understand the interpretation is what people are really after. It's not yeah. the it's not the yeah. actual, it's not the data, yeah. not numbers, right? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Are there any other thoughts on this, you know, conversation of producer soil testing that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I mean, the only, I guess the first thing that kind of comes to mind is, is look, I, I get this question a lot uh, as well is, you know, how useful is the Haney test or how useful is this test? And my answer is usually returned as a question, as I say, well, how useful is a hammer? <laughs> you know, and it, it, and I know that sounds silly and I'm not trying to be condescending, but it's what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. um, because conventional soil tests are useful. I'm not saying that we should just ditch. So if, if you're farming and, you, and you, you've been running conventional soil tests, I'm not telling you to throw all that out the window. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling you it was a waste of money and time. Conventional soil testing have got us a long way in agriculture, much like a lot of the other technologies. However, if you make the decision to start going down this regenerative path, some of the old tools become less and less effective because of the system you're in. And some of the tools like the Haney test become more effective um, just because you're evaluating something differently. Sure. So it's, it, this is not a, uh, it's not a one size fits all. And it's not a, uh, you know, this versus this type of situation. It, mm -hmm. it literally is just transitioning out of, and you'll find, because you know, I, I said on average, right, on average, 20 pounds of additional nitrogen credit. If I were to cherry pick 20 growers that I know have been from, from representing 15 different states mm -hmm. that I know have been doing these practices for 10 years, I will tell you that their average nitrogen savings is not 20 pounds. It's 70. Wow. Right? Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, if I pick 20 farmers that I knew had been growing nothing but corn on corn on corn or wheat on wheat on wheat, summer fallow, their average in nitrogen savings is five. Mm -hmm. 
So when somebody says to me, well, how useful is a Haney test? Well, I would say if you're in that soil health group, it's incredibly useful. It's mm-hmm. incredibly valuable. Sure. It is going to give you a, an amazing economic return. If you're on the conventional side and you're looking at it going, well, it's $50 to run a Haney test and I can run these grid samples for seven bucks. Right. I'm going to tell you the Haney test probably isn't any more useful compared to what you're already doing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It, uh, it, it just comes to my mind, makes me think of, you know, a cattle producer raises low input genetics. If you're going to take this animal and try and run it through your, you know, high input, you know, creep, uh, super high input corn silage feed diet all winter, you'll end up with these fat cows, udders full of fat that are not going to milk anything and runs the calves. It's going to be a flop and stuff, but you know, it's all, it's, it, you know, they're all useful tools in the right context. And so I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Context is key. Um, it's it's understanding your context and that's what Mm -hmm. I meant by establishing your resource concerns and your goals. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess I would also encourage, I would also encourage producers, um, and this is not producers fault necessarily. So I would encourage ag lenders. I would encourage insurance companies. I would, (laughs) you know, I would encourage everybody involved, but Agriculture and farming, by and large, is one of the few industries that operates on a 12-month projection. Mm-hmm. And then after 12 months, we reproject. And, and, and you're operating on a 12-month goal and a 12-month timeline, right? Uh, I'm going to borrow X number of dollars. I got to produce this much. And if I do that, I will be able to pay that loan off. And you know that's the goal, typically. It's survival, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess my other encouragement would be is, and that's great. You need to have a short-term goal um, on a per year basis, uh, but be thinking beyond that. Where do you want your farm to be three years, five years, 10 years, you know, for the next generation, whether that's, you know, a family member, you taking over the operation. I mean, what, what is it that you really want? Um and then we implement, you know, pieces on a per year basis to try to get that that main goal, right? Sure. Um, yeah. So I would just encourage people, and I know that that's that's tough. That's not just a farmer issue. That is a systems issue. You know, mm-hmm. insurance companies and the lenders and all those things. I said, ag lending has got to be the only thing I know of. I mean, I started a business and borrowed a pile of money, and the <laughs> bank didn't say, "Okay, well, you owe us all that money back in twelve months." Yeah. No, it's like, no, it's a, it's a 10 year note, mm-hmm. you know? And, and when you get to the 10, you make payments. And when you get to the end of the 10 years, you know, you, we might kick it down the road. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, there's some of that. And I know that these are operating notes, but I mean, there's some of that in there that, that really needs to be revisited. You want producers to invest long-term in their operations, but they have to make a living short-term. Mm-hmm. And the ag lenders need to understand that too. Is it, they're, they're investing in longevity of, of a solid operation that's going to be profitable and managed well versus, well, let's get this, you know, this isn't a racetrack. We're not betting on a horse every year. That's, but that's kind of how they're doing it, in my opinion. Yeah, so. sure. Good thoughts. Um, if people want to learn more, reach out to you, send tests your way, uh, where would you direct them? Uh, yeah, so we can be found online uh, at regionaglab.com. Uh, it's, it's just R-E-G-E-N, aglab.com. Uh, from there, of course, you can reach us through our customer service email uh, that's on our website. I've got that phone numbers up there. Um, or anybody can always reach out to me directly. Uh, my email is lance.gunderson, G-U-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at regenaglab.com. So, uh, yeah, we'll work our best to connect people with, with whatever or whoever they may need to be connected with, um, if we can't help, but, um, yeah, reach out anytime. That's, that's what I usually encourage. If you got a question, odds are I've heard that question before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm sure you have. Mean it didn't mean I have an answer then, and I may not have an answer now, but, yeah. but there, there is absolutely, I have heard some of the most amazing and off the wall, outside the box things. Um, so don't ever feel hesitant to, to call up and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about trying this. How crazy is that? Or, because yeah. odds are I'll name three people that have tried it. 
<laughs> sure. But cool. I know there's probably countless others, right? So yeah. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. I encourage people to reach out. No, super cool. Um, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. I know there's a lot of value here. I learned stuff today and, uh, and, and I, I knew I would, so I'm grateful for it. And, uh, and thanks so much for your time, Lance. Yeah, you bet Jared. And, and thank you for the opportunity and, and, uh, the chance to get on here and, and talk a little bit. Uh... Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture done well heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.